And today we're going to be looking at a conversation uh, that Jesus had with an unnamed man. It's really interesting because three of the four gospel accounts narrate this incident that we're going to be looking at today. And none of these three accounts mention this man by name. And all three incidents, he's just referred to as the rich young man or the rich young ruler. So we're just going to call him the rich young man this morning. The passage we're looking at from the Bible is Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 27. Demia is going to help read this out for us, and it's there on the screen as well. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Thank you, Pemia. This is the word of the Lord. Um, I'd like to make one observation first. Uh, This passage is about a rich man, a rich young man. And I hope that doesn't give you a license, give some of you a license to tune off the sermon saying, I'm not rich. So in in order to get and keep your attention, I need to define what is rich in the context of our culture and our country. According to the 2011 census, India has about 99 million graduates. So if you're a graduate, you are part of the elite 8% of India's population. So we have a head start. If you're a graduate, you already have a head start. Second, according to the income tax department, only 11 lakh of India's 1.3 billion people earn a monthly income of over rupees 80,000. So if you're, if you're earning more than 80,000 a month, you are in the top 1% of India's 1.3 billion population, which means you are definitely rich. Now, those of you who don't yet earn 80K a month, if you are a graduate, it's just a question of time before you get there. So you're going to be rich very soon. And I can assure you, I'm not one of these prosperity preachers. I'm just speaking plain economics here. So all that to say that every one of us are rich in the Indian context. And so we need this sermon just as this rich young man needed this conversation with Jesus. So I'd like to draw three things for us from this conversation that Jesus had with a rich young man. First, the secret riches of interruptions. Second, sometimes truth is best proclaimed on a journey. And third, the confusing paradigm of having and lacking. 
the secret riches of interruptions. Sometimes truth is best proclaimed on a journey. And third, the confusing paradigm of having and lacking. Let's look at the first one, the secret riches of interruptions. Verse 17, and as Jesus was setting on a journey, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus was interrupted. This rich young man interrupted Jesus when he was just about to go on a journey. Um, imagine you're heading out to the airport uh, to, get a, to get a flight and, and somebody lands up at your home unannounced. That's an interruption. And you're going to shoo that person away. And Jesus walks up to this, sorry, this rich young man walks up to Jesus as Jesus was about to set out on a journey. And, and, and he asks this really profound question at, at a very inopportune time. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You're surely going to miss the flight if you sit and answer that question. But Jesus, he allowed himself to be interrupted. In the busy world that we live in, every conversation is an interruption. We are all so busy. We are all so busy trying to be successful. We are all so busy trying to get things done in our lives that every conversation is going to seem like an interruption. And this is the reality that of the world that we live in. There can be no conversation without an interruption. So if we don't want to be interrupted or if we are too busy to be interrupted, or if we feel we are too important to be interrupted, we may never be able to have a meaningful conversation. Forget people outside the church. Uh, forget reaching out. If we are not willing to be interrupted, we may not even be able to have a meaningful conversation with our own family members, with the ones we so dearly love. Look at this verse again. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 99% of the time, 99% of the people who read this passage are not going to catch the full significance of what's happening here. And I didn't quite catch the full significance until maybe the third or the fourth hour of my prep for the sermon. At first read, we may not fully grasp the magnitude of the interruption that Jesus has allowed this young man to cause. As Jesus was setting on a journey. What journey was Jesus setting out on? Where was Jesus going? What journey did this rich young man interrupt? The answer is right there in the same chapter, Mark chapter 10, but just a little below the passage we read in verses 32 to 34. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Soon after talking to this rich young man, Jesus continues on his journey that the rich young man interrupted him on. 
And this is, this is where we pick up the story. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that's Christ Jesus, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. This was no ordinary journey that Jesus allowed this rich young man to interrupt. Jesus allowed this rich young man to interrupt him on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. Seen in the light of this, I think we can all fully appreciate to what extent Jesus was allowed to be, allowed himself to be interrupted in order to have a conversation with this young man. Jesus always allowed himself to be interrupted. He was interrupted in his thirst by the Samaritan women. And there was this long conversation. And at the end of the conversation, we don't even know if Jesus got his drink, a cup of water to fill his thirst or not. The woman with the issue of blood, she interrupted Jesus on his way to Jairus' home to heal his dying daughter. And every time Jesus was allowed, allowed himself to be interrupted, we see the beauty and the riches of the gospel flowing into the lives of many through those conversations. Every conversation necessarily means an interruption in our plans, in our schedule. In our lives, we often forget that people are important. I forget people are important. And I'm supposed to be a pastor whose, whose primary role is to help people. And I, I forget people are important. People to be loved are more important than tasks to be accomplished. And I know I'm preaching this to my own soul than anyone else. I just hate it when someone interrupts me when I'm in the middle of an important task. And this is, this is to my shame. This is my sinfulness. And, and I, I need God's grace to change in this aspect. You know, just last week, I, I remember going out to buy bananas. Uh, right? Hugely important task. Right? The evening, it was an evening. I didn't really have too much uh, to do that evening. It, it was quite a relaxed evening. And as on my way to the store, I met this couple whom Aji and I have known for about 10 years. Uh, they, you know, we've had them home. We've spent a lot of time together. And uh, I bumped into them and they began talking and, uh, and, and I, I was talking to them. And, and they were showing more interest in having this conversation than I was in them. Because in my mind, you see, I have to go buy the bananas. That, that's who I am. I am task-oriented. And, and so I think I missed a beautiful opportunity. I spoke to them, but, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking bananas. I'm wired that way, sinfully so. Right? And I, I wonder, what did I miss if I just given them a little more attention? 
what could it have led to if I just paused to see them as Jesus saw people? What if I just listened a little bit more? I'm hoping to invite them to our Christmas outreach on, on, on December 19th. And, and whether we're really busy or whatever scale of busyness you are in experiencing in your life, we cannot have conversations unless we're willing to be interrupted. And that's the first thing that I wanted to draw out for us from this passage, the secret riches of interruptions. And that brings us to the second thing I'd like to draw out for us from the passage. Truth is sometimes best proclaimed on a journey. Truth is sometimes best proclaimed on a, on, on a journey. Uh, this is not an easy passage. It raises so many questions. Uh, look at verse 8. Jesus tells this young man, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And quite a few people pick up this verse to argue that Jesus said he is not God. That's, that's not at all what's happening here. Jesus is not saying he's not God. All through his ministry, Jesus kept saying that he was the son of God. He was crucified only because he claimed to be the son of God and God himself. And Jesus kept saying, I came down from heaven. Jesus was God incarnate. Uh, look at John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus answered, he was talking to one of his disciples, Philip. He said, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. If we have seen Jesus, we have seen God, because Jesus is God, the Son of God. And so here in this passage, Jesus is not saying that he is not God. What he is telling this rich young man is that no one is good but God alone, yes, so Jesus is telling, so if you call me good, and Jesus is telling this rich young man, you also have to acknowledge that I'm God. <clears throat> Jesus is telling this rich young man, you can't get away by calling me a good teacher. If you're calling me a good teacher, you really have to listen and hear what I'm telling you. And I'm telling you, I am the son of God. So Jesus is telling this rich young man, that don't call me good teacher and not call me God. Some people find this verse challenging. But for me, though, that's not the challenging part of the passage. For me, one, what's more challenging in this passage, what happened to this young man? Did he make it? Did he, did he finally believe in Jesus? Because it says that he walked away disheartened and, and full of sorrow. He couldn't do what Jesus said. Did he, did he finally get saved? Did he become a follower and a disciple of Jesus? Uh, the Bible leaves that open-ended. We don't know what's happening. And for me, that's, I, I keep wrestling with that. Uh, if you have a Christian upbringing, I'm sure you have a list of questions you want answered when you go to heaven. Uh, the Bible does give you a lot of questions where we don't fully know the answers. And I, I guess when I get to heaven, I'm going to look out for this guy. You see there, who is he? I'd love, I, I wish the Bible had answered that. Uh, uh, question. But more than any of this, the one thing that I find the most intriguing in this passage is this. 
Jesus let the rich young man walk away. He, he didn't force the issue with the rich young man. He, he didn't push him more. He didn't try to get him to commit. He let the rich young man walk away. And, and I'm still wrestling with that. Why did Jesus allow that? Why did Jesus let him walk away without resolution? And that the passage to talk to all tells us Jesus loved him. How could Jesus love him and let him walk away before making a positive decision towards eternal life, like receiving Jesus as his savior? <clears throat> we find conversations hard because we expect an outcome. That's one of the reasons we find conversations hard. We fail to understand that we don't need to close out every Christ conversation that we have with friends outside the church. Conversations about Jesus that we have need not always have a, a neat closure. You're not a failure if you have a conversation with someone about Jesus. That goes nowhere. You don't understand them. You don't understand um, that person. That person doesn't understand you. I mean, you're kind of just walking around in circles. Familiar? We all had those uh, uh, conversations. You're not a failure if those conversations don't have a neat closure. You're not inadequate. It's not that you don't know the Bible. If you, if you have conversations that, 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 that end open-ended, that's okay. If Jesus allowed this rich young man to walk away with doubt, without fully understanding, it's okay. We don't need to be discouraged. And, and, and so don't try to close. We don't need to try and close out every Christ conversation. Just talking to people and journeying with people through many open conversations can be such a helpful way of communicating the love of Jesus with others. And so we need to see conversations not as one of things, but as a journey of doing a little bit of our lives together, being genuinely interested in, in one another and each other's lives and enjoying that journey of conversations So many conversations. As followers of Christ, we don't need to tell people everything we know about Jesus in one conversation. It's not possible. And, and the honest truth is people may not be interested as much as we are. And so that's the second thing that I wanted to draw for us from the passage. Sometimes truth is best proclaimed on a journey. This entire season of Advent, we've been looking at having conversations with people outside. And I've shared this card many times before, but let me just read out a few questions that are there, just indicative questions for us to help us have these conversations. What kind of a person would you like to be five years from now? Uh, if you could go back five years and change anything about you, about how you lived the past five years, what would you change? 
What do you believe about God? What is the basis? I mean, genuinely curious questions. Uh, what's the foundation? Whatever you may believe in about God and Jesus, what, what's the foundation for it? What is that based on? Very open-ended questions, conversations that can really help us understand one another. Sometimes truth is best proclaimed on a journey. The third thing I'd like to draw out for us from the passage is the confusing paradigm of having and lacking. Look at verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. The rich young man had much wealth. He had many possessions. But Jesus did not tell him, you have many things. Jesus told him, you lack one thing. And so here's this rich young man who seemed to have it all, but Jesus is telling him, you lack one thing. And so what was it that this rich man lacked? Jesus told him, sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and follow me. So what is it that this rich man is lacking according to Jesus? Jesus is telling this rich young man that his having is his lacking. His having is his lacking. The, the, the lacking that Jesus sees in this rich young man is lies in his having. Jesus is telling this rich young man, it is in all your having. You have all of these things and therefore you feel no need for a savior. It is in all this having that you're experiencing a lacking. Your having is your lacking. And this is the confusing paradigm of having and lacking. In the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God and the upside-down nature of the way of life Jesus taught us, having is lacking and lacking is having. As a church, New City Church, we are called to minister who have a lot of things, but who lack one thing. You and I, we live, work, and play with people who have great education. They have a great career. Uh, they have abundant savings. They are most likely in the top 1% of this 1.3 billion people. They seem to have it all together. But they are missing one thing. Our mission field includes people we live, work, and play with. Our mission field is not limited to these people, but it definitely includes the people that we live, work, and play with. And so this conversation that Jesus is having with this rich young man is so relevant to us. And here's a simple truth that we need to keep in mind as we, as we have these conversations with the rich young men and women in our, in, in our lives. And it's a simple truth. And it reflects, reflects the upside-down way that Jesus taught us to live. Upside-down way, God washing the feet of his disciples. That's not the normal course of life. It's upside-down. He comes to serve. God comes as a servant and not to be served. That's the upside-down way of, 
how Jesus lives. And here's the thing we need to keep in mind in these conversations. Don't talk to your friends on the strength of your having. Talk to them on the strength of your lacking. We need to talk to our friends on the strength of our lacking, not our having. Let me explain that. You see, the people we live, work, and play with don't need Jesus to be successful in their lives. They're not really looking for, to Jesus to make them successful. In fact, they don't want Jesus to help them be successful because they want to be successful on their own strength. How can they brag if Jesus helps them to be successful? They want to be successful themselves. I suspect that is true of us as well, not just those outside the church. So if, if my gospel narrative, if our gospel narrative to the world is see how good and successful I am, how accomplished I am, Jesus helped me become successful and accomplished. If that's our gospel narrative, they're not going to be interested. What they are going to be interested is not in what we have, but in what we lack. They're going to be interested in the joy and peace we ought to have when we don't get the promotion we think we rightly deserve. They're going to be interested that when we are unfairly criticized, how do we retain such composure? Your gentleness when you have every right to be rude. Your patience when you have every right to be upset. These are the things how we respond with love, joy, and peace when we don't get the things we deserve or don't get the things we want. So it is in our lack that Christ shines through beautifully. It is in our lack that Christ in us shines through more beautifully than in what we have. So those are the three things I wanted to draw out from this conversation that Jesus had with a rich young man. Allow yourselves to be interrupted. That's the first. You don't need to have a neat closure to every Christ conversation. And third, it's not your having that draws people to Christ, but it's your love, peace, and hope in your lacking that draws people to Christ. And so allow me to close with one final thought from this passage. And Jesus, verse 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus looked at him. And that looking doesn't mean just, just sight. It means he looked into this man's soul. He saw everything that was there in this man's soul. And he loved him. Jesus loved this rich young man. But why? What was it about the rich young man that made Jesus love him? What was it in the man? What was it in this young man? What did Jesus see in this young man that made the heart of Christ reach out and, and love him? Did Jesus love him because he kept all the commandments? At least he claimed to have kept all the commandments. I don't think so. Because even though he claimed to have kept all the commandments, we know that no one on earth has obeyed the law perfectly except Christ himself. Did Jesus uh, love him because he was earnest 
because he was humble. He came down, he ran to him, and he, he kneeled down. Not at all. This man was quite pretentious. He, he put, puts up a big show of kneeling, but he never does what Jesus asks him to do. Did Jesus love him because he helped the poor? Not at all. This man walked away when, as soon as Jesus started talking about giving away his wealth to help the poor. So what, what was it in this young man that made Jesus love him? Why did Jesus love this rich young man? What was in the man that made Jesus love him? Nothing. There was absolutely nothing in this man that made Jesus love him. And yet Jesus loved him. You see, this is the love of Christ. The love of Christ is not the love, not the kind of love you would expect to find on a dating site. Is she smart? Is he good looking? Will he make me happy? Does he get me? You see, we can only love people who are lovable. But Jesus loves us when there is absolutely nothing that's lovable in us. This is the message of Advent. I mean, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. We have to realize that God loved the world not because you and I and everybody else in this world were so lovable, not at all. You and I and everyone else in this world is all, are, we are all unlovable by God because of our sinfulness, because we are so imperfect in the light of his glorious perfection, and yet he loves us. God's love for us is not a reflection of our nature, it's a reflection of his nature. There was absolutely nothing lovable in the rich young man, and yet Christ loved him. There was, there was and there is absolutely nothing lovable for God in his perfection and his beautiful, incredible holiness. There's nothing. He has everything. There's nothing in us that is lovable for God, and yet he loves us by sending his son to die for us. There's this really beautiful verse in Deuteronomy 7, which is a book in the Old Testament, where this, which captures this, this aspect of God's love. It'll come up for us on screen. It's not because you are more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. Other translations say, it's not because you were more in number that the Lord set his affection on you and shows you, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. God loves you because he loves you. God loves me because he loves me. It's not because we are strong or weak. It's not because we are more or less. It's not because we are black or white. It's not because we are good or bad or tall or short. God loves us because he loves us. This is the message of Advent. We are all equally undeserving of the love and sacrifice of Christ Jesus. And yet he loved us to the point of dying on the cross, bearing the punishment of your sins and mine. And he rose again on the third day so that you and I 
need no longer be enslaved to sin. This is the Christ we celebrate in Advent. Will you receive this Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Would you recommit your life to him today if you're already a follower of Jesus? Let us pray. Father, we pray, fill our hearts with a very tangible experience of this love of God in Christ Jesus, that out of the overflow of this love, we might become genuinely interested, Lord, that we would genuinely pause to see people, to connect with them, to engage with them, to love them, to journey with them, to have conversations with them. Lord, I know that all of this is going to be empty and shallow unless you fill our hearts with your love. So we cry out, fill our hearts, Lord Jesus, with your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.